We're walking through a series called Wiki Wisdom, Timeless Truths in a Wayward World. And if ever, we'd need, if ever we've needed wisdom, it seems to be these days. And so uh, the complexity and the pace and everything else that we're facing, we want to encourage you not only to study it with us, but to take it home and to start uh, perhaps reading the Proverbs from time to time and applying them. Uh, this morning, we're going to be uh, reading really the purpose statement of Proverbs, which is Proverbs 1, 1 to 4. I want you to really pay attention to the four verses because it really gives you a great summary statement of why Proverbs was written. So Keegan Jones is going to be uh, sharing scripture. Keegan, coming up for us, please. And what we do here is we stand and face the middle of the room because we believe scripture is central to who we are and what we do here at TFRC. Proverbs 1, 1 to 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent and behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Good deal. Thanks, Hegan. You, you can have a seat. Chuck and John, in the previous two weeks, shared some pretty outlandish proverbs. And, and I want to share an outlandish proverb with you, but I have to tell you the story behind it first. Uh, come with me back to my first year of seminary, and we had a heroic young woman who was blind from birth that went through uh, the uh, MDiv program along with us. And uh, Denise was her name. And uh, she was just an amazing young woman. But uh, Denise had a guide dog named Marshall. And so through the hallowed halls of the seminary, Marshall would always be leading Denise. And so Denise would always take the seat closest to the front of the room, closest to the professor in all of the classes she took for sake of ease. One day we were in the middle of an Old Testament history uh, class. And the professor was in the middle of his lecture when for whatever reason, Marshall's breakfast began disagreeing with him. And in the midst of the prof's lecture, we start, and I won't approximate this too graphically, but Marshall began to gag. And then Marshall began to throw up. And then Marshall began to do what all dogs do. He began to eat lunch <laughs> off the carpeted floor. And by that time, the prof obviously had heard and seen what's happening, and he just stood staring at Marshall. And of course, we were enjoying the moment, unfortunately, but the prof, who was brilliant in his Old Testament scholarship, looked up from Marshall and then quoted this, this proverb. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. You never know when a proverb could be used in, in really interesting ways. And, and I mean that. I mean that. Because we'll say, oh, Proverbs is such a good book full of wise sayings, short, pithy statements. But the reality is, often we need wisdom today, and we blow right by Proverbs for whatever reason. So again, part of the application of this series, read some Proverbs, but anchor one that may be relevant to where you're at right now and begin to apply it. And I think you'll be amazed at uh, what this wisdom can do. I wanted to give you a brief outline of Proverbs this morning. Uh, we really haven't done that at this point. And I, I wanna just show you how it's structured. 
uh, because there's some in, intriguing dimensions to the structure. Chapters 1 to 9 are attributed to Solomon, and these first nine chapters are written as a father would communicate with a son, as a parent would communicate with his children, his or her children. And so if you read those first nine chapters, parents, these chapters are specifically for you. And there's great wisdom within. The second collection of chapters 10 to 22 are also attributed to Solomon, but he shifts his um, uh, literary format to what we call couplets. He compares and contrasts. Um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's actually not in the Bible, but that would be a couplet. And so for those next chapters, again, attributed to Solomon, he changes the, the structure, the, changes the delivery of those Proverbs. The third collection, chapters 22 to 24, is attributed, now perhaps to Solomon as well, but it's attributed specifically to the sayings of the wise or further sayings of the wise. And again, back in the day, not only did Solomon project his wisdom, but there were schools of wisdom that projected these truths. The fourth collection in chapters 25 to 29, and I find this interesting, are attributed to Solomon, except it mentions specifically they were copied during King Hezekiah's reign, which was 250 years after Solomon lived. So whether the Proverbs existed from Solomon's day and the scribes of Hezekiah collected them, or these, again, were new, new um, Proverbs being written, or not positive. And then the last collection, the last two chapters are attributed to two very obscure characters. In fact, we're not sure who they are. One's named as Agur in chapter 30, and then King Lemuel in chapter 31. Variety of interpretations. King Lemuel, some Jewish tradition states, is another name for King Solomon. And if it's King Solomon, he attributes chapter 31 to his mom's wisdom probably something most of us or all of us in this room could do is write a series of proverbs that our mom left with us through the years. Agur is an obscure dude. We don't know really who he is. The name means collector or editor, and perhaps he's the individual that edited that particular chapter, chapter 30. What's fascinating about the proverbs, if you spend some time there, is proverbs has virtually the same moral code represented as all of the Old Testament laws. Uh, quiz for the moment, how many laws are written in the Old Testament, do's and don'ts? 613, in case you're counting. 613 do's and don'ts. So we need to get busy, right? But Proverbs disguises those thou shalts and thou shalt nots in a way that offers us wisdom and success and effectiveness in living. So Proverbs in many ways mirrors Deuteronomy and Leviticus and many of these Old Testament books. Last week, Chuck spoke about virtues, and today we're going to look into vices, kind of the yin and yang of Proverbs. And we're going to look at this word to the wise, advice about vice, but I wanted to give you the actual, and of course you know this is so very accurate, the Wikipedia definition of vice. A vice is a practice, a behavior, or habit generally considered immoral, sinful, criminal, rude, taboo, depraved, or degrading in, in the associated society. And here's the point. The opposite of vice is virtue. Then I'd like to show you the list of vices as uh, prescribed in Proverbs. 
There's 14 different vices described in Proverbs, and your prayer at this moment is please don't let him take each one of those individually, one at a time, and read every one of those verses. In parentheses, you see the number of verses that describe or, or highlight that particular vice. There's over 330 verses in the book of Proverbs that focuses specifically on uh, vice. It's one of the major themes of uh, Proverbs. And again, what's also intriguing is that you see the number one issue on that list. By far, two to 3,000 years ago, when the authors of Scripture were compiling the major issues of their day, guess what was number one? You see it in terms of the, its frequency. And I would argue we still battle the area of sexual morality and adultery, and whether it be internet porn, whatever it may be, it's still arguably the major issue. What's fascinating about this list, it's not just common behaviors off the Ten Commandments, it's some attitudes, but also some motivators. The, the idea of foolishness making the list of vices, you can, you can argue that point, and yet foolishness for some is a vice. In fact, Proverbs writes the book on foolishness. There's five different words in the Hebrew language describing fool, and it specializes, does Proverbs, in describing it. Generally speaking, when the author of Proverbs talks about a fool, we're not talking the old Mr. T, pity the fool kind of thing. What we're talking about is a, a rebelliousness, an unreasonableness, a moral vacuum, which contributes to this foolishness. It's not an attitude it's, it's not a state of mind. It's a core heart issue. Um, and so foolishness is considered a vice. The one below it is interesting as well, simple-mindedness. Simple and please don't be identifying people in your life that you think qualify for this. And again, the, the purpose statement, Proverbs 1, verse 4, uh, why, does Proverbs, why is Proverbs written? For giving prudence to those who are simple. Now, we're not talking someone with mental incapacity, but simple in Proverbs denotes someone who is a combination of gullible, immature, and, and the key, without a strong moral character. So these two, foolishness and simple-mindedness, make the list of vices and are fairly prominent in the list. Let me give you a good illustration of simple-mindedness. Simple-mindedness is something like this. Recently, for a trio of drug thieves, it was their lucky day. They broke into a home in Silver Springs, Florida, and discovered three jars of cocaine carefully uh, hid away. They took it home and began to snort the contents. That's when, in fact, they discovered that the jars were, in fact, urns and that they were snorting the remains of the victim's husband and his two dogs. Now that's simple-minded. I'll let you think about that and then think about lunch just a minute. You see the theme here today between uh, snorting urns and throw up. We're, we're on our way. We are on our way. Take a look at the rest of the list though. Um, and again, just quantify the number of times. And we won't say one vice is more significant than another, but certainly some vices are mentioned by far more than another. Um, list of 14. 
Now, last week, and the previous two weeks, we tried to establish a foundation, a biblical foundation for wisdom. And uh, you know people who think they're wise, and then you know people who are wise. You know people who have a strong secular sense of being together, then there are other people that you know have godly wisdom. And we want to lay this foundation again today, just in review, in that when we talk about the Bible, wisdom is from God, and the Bible describes Jesus as the wisdom of God, and as Chuck talked last week, the champion of virtues. So, As a result of that, and this is a profound thought, to believe and to follow Jesus is to acquire wisdom. Often we want to pursue wisdom, and James says we can do that and actually obtain wisdom, but the better choice, the wiser choice, is simply to put my life in Jesus' hands. The closer I follow him, the greater godly wisdom I acquire because of my proximity to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. So growing in our faith in Christ implies growing in wisdom, discerning right from wrong, making the right decisions. And not only spiritual wisdom, spiritual rights and wrongs, but relational, situational uh, as well. And what's awesome about following Jesus, if we follow Jesus, our heart will be right, which is the core strength to combat the simple-mindedness, the foolishness, and combat the temptations of the vices we're looking at this morning. And, And godly wisdom is the consequence of a relationship with Jesus. And the sum total of our life experiences, our biblical knowledge, and our commitment to obedience. Wisdom is applying what we know to what we do into a way that honors God. And listen, if you know someone uh, who loves Jesus, follows him relentlessly, you know that this person will be a wise person and will be appearing to live wisely as well. Now, there, if we're not going to look through all 14 vices, and you're saying, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. But what there is, it's fascinating, is that throughout all 14 vices are woven different threads of consistency and insight. And we want to look at three of those threads. What we're going to call them this morning is primary predictives of vice avoidance. I know it's a mouthful, but it makes me sound wiser when I use something like this. I want you to think back, and I'm not sure how far back you have to think, to recall a decision you wish you could have over. In retrospect, it might look really silly and respectfully even a little bit dumb. What was I thinking? What in the world? And again, the premise for the series is that we've never needed wisdom perhaps more than we do today, given the cultural situation, the pace, the technology. So, There's really three primary predictors in the passages that weave their way through all 14 vices. And these are really basics. These are foundational. They are fundamentals. But they're good to evaluate in a place like this on a day like this. And the first is simply this, our choice of friendships and relationships. And I'll give you a few passages just to uh, emphasize this, to underscore. And Proverbs 14, 7 says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. And again, remember, foolishness is not just stupidity. 
It's a lack of moral compass. It's a lack of moral character. Proverbs 23 says, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Now the drinking part we get, but you know people that eat too much? We won't go there. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And then another Proverbs 24, 1 and 2. Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. Now, I read another story of three other kids that broke into a house, similar to the previous story, actually, and um, took, among other things, a box that they thought contained cocaine. Ring a bell? The only thing here, of course, was a homeowner's father's ashes, but even worse, the woman from whom they stole it claimed that two of the unnamed teens teens were the deceased man's grandkids. That would make for an awkward family reunion. The grandkids stole the grandfather's cremains, believing it was some kind of drug. Now, in the process of that decision-making, one of the young men turned to the other two and said, I think we're going to go steal why don't we go to your grandparents' home? I mean, at, what, where, at what point in the process does someone say, excuse me, that's not wise? They understand why that doesn't happen. But in the, within those relationships, within those friendships, that would hap- that's what happens. Um, you know, as we grow up, friendships are absolutely crucial, aren't they? What, what's fascinating about the three pastors on staff here is every one of them began in youth ministry where the two top topics was dating and peer pressure. Now, you want a good theological sermon? I'm not sure where you guys, but you want to talk about peer pressure? Come to us. We know that topic pretty well. And as kids, peer pressure is the number one impact. Sorry, parents of adolescents, the number one impact in our lives. Reality is, as we age, that often doesn't change as much as we'd like to admit. I don't know how many of you are like this, but for a long time in my life, and I'd like to think I've grown out of it, kind of, I am who I was with. So ring a bell? As an adolescent, as a college student, as a young adult, now I hang out with preachers, so I've taken a turn to the good. But I'd like to say I have this character and integrity, but to a degree, I am whom I'm with. And parents, let me just encourage you If you are parents of young children, you still have opportunity to shape the relationships of your kids, and that ends soon. Ever try to shape the relationship of a high school senior or a college sophomore? It ain't happening, Captain. But early on, you can actually shape the friendships, which then, if peer pressure is the number one impact, then you have a chance to shape your kid's future as well. I would ask you today, Who is that godly friend to whom which you turn for real insight when things are going difficultly, um, in crunch time, in decision-making time? Who is that godly, wise friend that you turn to? Or two, or three? 
I would celebrate not only the good friends you can trust, but especially friends who prioritize their faith in Jesus. Because if we prioritize our faith in Jesus, the wisdom and the insight that we'll be sharing will be morally right. It will be godly wisdom, and it's profound, the potential impact. So who we hang out with is one of the first predictors of our ability to withstand temptation or the vices, the list of vices. The second one is our pattern of speech. And if we speak a certain way or if we're around people who have certain patterns of speech, it's a huge predictor of whether we stay in the narrow path or fall off. And and it's interesting, out of that list of vices, 14 vices, nine out of the 14 that are used there are directly and often profoundly impacted by the words that we speak and the words that we hear. Let me give you a few passages again. And again, the number one issue in Proverbs, the number one vice that's described and hopefully prevented is sexual immorality. This is one of those passages. In uh, Proverbs 7, and this is a gal speaking to a guy. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt allegedly a turn-on in the 6th century or B.C. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray, She seduced him with her smooth talk. And the fella said, whoop. She said, hey, baby, I've got what you're looking for. That's a a paraphrase, granted. (laughs) But understand this, sexual immorality or adultery, the reality is that sexual seduction rarely takes place without words. Think about it. We've got the internet and internet porn. We've got other issues that swirl around morality in our country today. But seduction doesn't happen without words. And so who I place myself in proximity with, what I allow to tempt me, words, words truly matter. It's crucial our hearts are in the right place when we're confronted with this type of temptation. And you know and I know the carnage that's been created even in this place, um, by people that just couldn't stand against the temptation of the seduction, words and heart. And then changing gears, here's another one for you in Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Uh, Back to the Seinfeld episodes, this would be a fast talker, if you ever watched that show. Less is better. Just, you don't have to be the one to fill in the blanks in the quiet, in the midst of the conversation. James 1 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Sometimes we get that confused. The Proverbs could have added a fool is quick to speak and slow to think as well. That would describe foolishness. 
Now, words really matter. And think about this past week, all of the conversations that you had, all of the conversations you initiated, all of the conversations you helped shape, both one-on-one or within collections of, of individuals, friends, coworkers, et cetera. What impact did your speech have on those around you? And what impact did their speech have on you? You know, words do matter. And I, I'd never heard this before. I thought this was pretty comical. And this in no way is calling former President John F. Kennedy a fool. I want to be very clear on that. But if you were alive back in the day when President Kennedy was in office, or if you've ever heard his famous speech to, uh, to the German people back in June of 63, John F. Kennedy made a statement that rang throughout the world um, and the entire world respected. Uh, He identified with the German people with four words. You know what the words were? Ich bin ein Berliner. And people went nuts over that. It was an amazing comment. That's what one of the brilliances of this charismatic president. He identified with the people, except to the Berliners, the word Berliner had a different meaning. It was a local colloquialism. Berliner meant a type of jelly donut. And so when Kennedy embraced the entire German population, what the people of Berlin said, I am a jelly donut. And so they had a good time with that. I never heard that story before. So be aware of what you're saying, even when you don't think you're saying. Then this last uh, set of Proverbs from Proverbs 6. Again, we're on speech. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I I count three specific issues uh, peculiar to our speech patterns. But what I find fascinating about this is God, uh, through the author of Proverbs, did not rate these from greatest to least. I am tempted to do that, and I would begin with hands that shed innocent blood up top. How about you? And go ahead, have that, play that game. What God is saying uh, to his people then and now is that speech truly matters. God detests, he detests people who can't speak the truth. He detests people who criticize or slander or demean others by elevating themselves. And he also detests individuals that stir up trouble within communities like this. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? God detests those forms of speech that disrupt lives in the body of Christ. And the fact is that fundamentally, words are a reflection of our heart condition. It's our focus on Jesus and not our focus on ourselves. And knowing that every one of our conversations matter is going to change what we say and how we say it and how often we communicate. The person of wisdom weighs words carefully. And if Jesus is the source of our wisdom, then his words will set the standards for our words. And let me tell you, 
you, you can know very simply your devotion to Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, simply by the conversations you, we engage in. The more, the more devoted I am in my following Jesus, the more intimate I am, the cleaner my conversations will be. And I'm not talking just profanity or vulgarity. I'm just saying I'm going to be communicating in ways that are always God-honoring, or in my case, at least most of the time. A Christ follower is simply someone using patterns of speech like Jesus on behalf of Jesus. Long before Jesus hit the ground running, speech mattered. But when Jesus comes, look at the patterns of speech Jesus used, and you'll see this divine wisdom in flesh and blood. Here's the third uh, predictor of vice avoidance. It's our commitment to teachability. And here's one from Proverbs 5 that I think is, is pretty cool, pretty profound. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Here's another one from Proverbs 13. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. You know, it's amazing how we age, how much wiser we think we are. And quite frankly, some of us do acquire this wisdom. Some don't, but still think they do. But the key issue, no matter how old we are, in this seat in this room today, is our willingness to be teachable. Um, in the educational field, lifelong learning is very fashionable these days, and for good reason. But the question is today, let me ask you humbly, gently, how teachable are you these days compared to where you were five, ten years ago? You know, my greatest regret in life, besides being a Chicago fan, <laughs> is I went through college and I didn't care what I learned. My folks spent good money on me, and I didn't give a rip. I had fun. I had a lot of fun. No more details than that. I had great friendships, but I didn't learn much. And it's so ridiculous, four years of my life, that I didn't take studying seriously. I did graduate. I did graduate. As you look back, if you could have a mulligan at a threshold in life, at a crossroads, and, and again, don't berate yourself, don't uh, cry because of the past, let it be the motivation for you moving forward. You are gonna pursue the wisdom of God in Christ and be teachable. Proverbs offers two, and these are relentless illustrations, relentless threads, two sources of instruction. First of all, first and foremost is parents. Again, the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs is all about parental instruction. Parents, don't ever forget it. Your kids may not be ready to learn, but always be ready to teach. The fundamental source of instruction in Proverbs is parents. And I know we have a blast entertaining our kids, taking our kids to everything we want them to do, some of the things we never got to do, we want them to do. But don't ever forget, it's about teaching your kids in the wisdom of God's word. And the wisdom of God is Christ. The, the second major theme is uh, learning from wise friends. 
And again, what mentor do we have in place that we rely upon today for wisdom when we're making those tough calls? Some of us still struggle with the consequences of decisions we made a month ago, a year ago, or a long time ago. We wish we would have someone in our lives back then that could have helped redirect our energies, our, our path. But it's just as important today, folks, even if we don't think we're at a critical threshold, who is it within our lives that's pouring themselves into us in a way that we can trust, that we can take seriously, we know is godly wisdom? So those are the three threads that weave their way through all 14 vices, and there's probably more. But just to encourage you, these are the things we want to pursue in in our understanding of what Proverbs was designed to be. Last week, Chuck shared four virtues. They were the top four ranked virtues. Uh, Remember what they were? That's okay. Let me give them to you. Integrity, diligence, humility, and mercy. Here's my premise. You put the list of vices and the list of virtues up on the board somewhere, and it is so much easier to slide into a vice, slide into that vice almost imperceptibly, one step at a time, slide into that vice, and then one wake up, one day we wake up and say, oops, I've got a problem. It's a lot more difficult to slide into the virtues. In fact, we have to be intentional about pursuing virtue. But again, the secret to pursuing virtue is in following Jesus. When I follow Jesus, when I follow Jesus, I begin to emulate and to imitate the virtues of humility, diligence, and the rest. If we're living today with the consequences of less than stellar decisions and maybe paying the price for past decisions, there's always a second chance. Because what God loves to do is take our brokenness and make us brand new again. He really, really does. So let me encourage you, if you're struggling today for whatever reason that may have come as a result of a less than stellar decision, there's today and tomorrow. And it's another step on the path of Jesus. And he can provide a way out of our brokenness. I I love Proverbs. They really are amazing statements designed to provide us with wisdom. And it's a great opportunity as well to learn how to avoid the temptations of those vices by following the champion of the virtues, Jesus. And so next time you're going to make a decision, when you seek God and seek someone who loves God first, God is going to open up this amazing and eternal storehouse of wisdom and offers some just for you. Let's give that a shot. Wisdom. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. Let's pray. First of all, Father, we thank you. There's this amazing source of wisdom within our grasp. Secondly, help us to reach out 
so that you can make a difference. In, in our walk with Jesus, in the, a relationship with the Holy Spirit as he provides insight and discernment as we make these decisions, Lord, help us in our quest to be more like Jesus to discover the wisdom of God. And Lord, I pray for every person gathered here today that's in the midst of making a decision or perhaps is pondering taking a stand or, or maybe looking at a new job or career or, or, or wondering if they should step out of a relationship or not. God, would you pour your wisdom upon that individual in such a way that they know they have been in your presence and they've received your instruction? We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.